Well, good morning. It is always an honor and a privilege to be here and open the Word of the Lord with you. Before we do that, I do want to congratulate Dustin Chevalier. He completed his MA in theology and is embarrassed that I'm saying anything about it, but can we give him a round of applause? They grow up so quickly, don't they? Um, today, <laughs> today we'll be in the book of Galatians chapter 6. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 1816, page 1816, if you have a pew Bible. When we come to the word of the Lord, we know that it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is God's word and his communication to us. And so whatever is in the word of God, we can trust that it is what God wants for our lives. And so we take that very seriously. So as we come to the word of the Lord, we always pray to get started. So bow with me, if you will. Father, this morning, as we come to your word, we ask that you would soften our hearts. Father God, it is only by your Holy Spirit that we can receive your word, that it can be illuminated in our lives. And so we ask for transformation to occur. We ask, Lord, that we would be different people when this is over than when we uh, were when we first came. We ask that we would draw nearer to you, that we would draw nearer to one another, and that as the text has for us today, we would bear one another's burdens. So, Father, watch over us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 is where we're going to be. It's a short verse and this is a simple message. There is nothing profound here. You will not leave confused or um, thinking that I am a scholar of any type because there is a simplicity to today's message and it's a beautiful simplicity. Um, Now I don't know about you, have you ever hit an area of life or maybe a season of life where you were distracted at work? Has anybody been there before? Some, some of you have understood that distraction. For me, it was the last few weeks uh, because there is a culprit to this. The Tour de France was on. And the Tour de France is 23 days. It's 21 stages with two rest days. And it was on in my office, which was odd, uh, but it was on in my office for the last several weeks. And I am a cyclist. I love cycling. It is my sport of choice. And so the Tour de France is like the Super Bowl for me. I love watching it. It started in 1903 and has since become the largest cycling event in the world. They traversed 2,068 miles on this specific Tour de France this past year's. And what's interesting is there's about a a start with about 180 riders, over 20 teams, And what is so interesting about cycling is that it is a team sport. I don't think a lot of people recognize that until they get into cycling, but it is actually a team sport. And you have specific roles on your team. So each team is eight people, and there are several roles that you see. One is a climber. So climbers are usually little guys. They're about the size of Mason Simmons, and they they go up hills very, very quickly. Um, They go up things like the Alpe d'Huez, and they can just absolutely fly up the hills, make it look completely effortless. Then you have sprinters. You might have heard the name Mark Cavendish, the the most famous sprinter of all. Uh, But these are guys who on flat ground just launch like missiles. Uh, They are so incredibly fast. Watching them is amazing, the amount of power they can put down onto pedals. Then you have guys called punchers, and punchers are guys who are really proficient at rolling hills. Think um, when you get out into the farmland around TR, those are rolling hills where a puncher would really shine. But then you have this really unique role. 
Uh, there's a really unique role on cycling teams. It is someone who is not focused on winning, but it is someone who is actually focused on helping out their teammates win. And they're called a domestique. Uh, you might have heard of the hotel domestique. That's where it derives its name from. But a domestique is a helper. They are someone who will come up beside a cyclist who is having difficulty, who has um, used a lot of their energy up, who has maybe gone on a big climb or a fast sprint, or maybe they've wrecked and they are um, getting back on their bike. But a domestique will come up and physically put their hand on the back of a cyclist and push them along. You can always tell a domestique because they are pushing another cyclist or helping out in various ways, but their role is not to win. Their role is to help. And it's actually very fascinating. One of the most famous domestiques lives here in town, helped Lance Armstrong on all seven of his tour victories, but uh, it's an interesting role. And today, the call of the gospel is that you and I would serve in this domestique type capacity. The call of the gospel on our lives is that we would help people out, much like a cycling domestique who helps people, comes alongside of them and and helps them through life's difficulties. We would come alongside of others and help them through life's difficulties. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 is where we're going to be, and it's 15 words in the NIV. It's very short, very simple. It says this, carry each other's burdens And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to read it again for you. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, you and I find ourselves living in the midst of a very unique culture. Uh, We find ourselves in what's called the Bible Belt. You've probably heard that term before. But we are living in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. There is no more Bible Belt than Greenville, South Carolina. And what that means is that we are living in a Christian zeitgeist um, that even though it is typically, that is kind of fading away, we are still living in Christendom to some degree. It is the very air we breathe. Um, we still have um, people saying blessings over their food in public. We still have vaguely Christian ideals at the workplace. We have churches on every street corner. In fact, you could pick up a stone and throw it in any direction from this campus and hit another church. And that's just what we're used to here in the South. We're used to Christian ideals and Christian ethics. That's the Bible Belt. It's the air we breathe. It's what we've grown up in. It's what we're used to. Running parallel to that, though, is another interesting cultural thing called American individualism. This is a fairly Western idea of individualism. We love stories of individual success. We love stories where people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, In fact, the original phrase is you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Have you ever seen anybody try? It's a futile exercise. And so you can't do that. But we love stories where people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We flock to movies and we love books of people who scaled the socioeconomic ladder, or people who overcame adversity on their own in order to better themselves. And those are good things. But somewhere along the way, something interesting happened. Those two ideas, the, the Christianity, the Christian zeitgeist, and American rugged individualism, which is individualism with a five o'clock shadow, became intertwined. Um, they, they inseparably linked to each other and resulted in this oddly American Christianity. It's a Christianity that you'd be hard-pressed to find in many other places and many other times. But it's a Christianity that focuses largely on our relationship with God, what we call the vertical aspect, which is good. That's one aspect of our faith. 
but it's to the neglect of the horizontal aspect and what we are called to do to our neighbors. You see, we we focus on our relationship with Jesus and we hear really bizarre phrases here in the South. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, my faith is just me and Jesus? Anybody? Or or what about, about, um, well, my faith is private. It's between me and God. And we hear abiblical statements like that that are very confusing and very odd to an Eastern mind because it's a unique product of America. Now, here's the reality. The gospel calls us to, one, love God, and two, love our neighbors. We're going to get to that in just a second. So I'm going to read Galatians 6, 2, and then we're going to talk about something pretty unique. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are introduced here to a specific Greek word, a word that is found in the Greek um, 59 times in the New Testament. It's the word alel or alelo, depending on where you find it. Um, It's used 59 times. It means one another, togetherness, reciprocity. But the alleles of Scripture are the practical implications for how we live out our faith towards one another. Where the rubber meets the road is where you will find the alleles of Scripture. This is how we live out our faith. The overflow of our vertical relationship flows onto the horizontal aspects of our relationship. These are the practical steps. I'm a practical guy. I'm not a visionary. I'm type A. I need steps. I need directives. The alleles are the directives of our faith. And today we find a very specific allel that tells us that if we do it, we fulfill the law of Christ. Let's talk about Galatia for a little bit. Um, Galatia, the people to whom the Apostle Paul is writing, Galatia is an ancient Near Eastern region, very similar to the Bible Belt. On his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul heads through Galatia, probably through the south of Galatia, and plants a bunch of churches. As he's planting those churches, there's a specific group that is following him called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are going behind Paul. They are discrediting his work. And they are saying that in order to become a Christian, you first must become a Jew. You first must convert to Judaism and then Christianity. And that's what these Judaizers are saying, that you have to obey laws of Torah. You have to be circumcised. You have to obey the religious observances, the festivals, the feasts, things like that. And they are going behind the Apostle Paul and undermining his work. In fact, this infuriates the Apostle Paul so much that he opens up the book of Galatians, um, which I want to open a letter this way one time. uh, But he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's a heck of an opening line. He says, if anyone comes to you preaching a different gospel than I preach, let them be anathema or accursed. It's the strongest language we find the Apostle Paul using in the New Testament. Because the people of Galatia have exchanged the simple obedience of Christianity with a complex list of rules and regulations. I think sometimes we find ourselves paralleling with the churches in Galatia. I think sometimes we forget that the gospel is love God and love others at its core. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, and we'll get to that. But that at its core, it's the simplicity of loving God and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And instead, we exchange that for a list of rules that we think that when we are obeying them, that we are in God's good graces... 
And that when we disobey, we are in danger of the judgment of God, that He is going to come through as some kind of cosmic killjoy and wreck shop for us. And so we find Christians living in either pride that they are following their rules that they have chosen, or living in fear that God is going to judge them when they're living in disobedience. And we parallel with the Galatians, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Um, Andy Stanley said the work of the early church was primarily one anothering one another. And here we get this very specific way of doing this. Are you bearing one another's burdens? That's really simple. That's almost all I have to say. We're not not leaving anytime soon, but that's almost all I have to say. Are you bearing one another's burdens? Like, are you really bearing one another's burdens? I don't think I need to explain what that means, but are you taking the time to hear people out, to hear people's stories? Are you taking the time to take people out to lunch, to to listen to what's going on in their lives and hearing about the struggle they're going through? Because let me be really honest with you. I've been a Christian for 20 years and a pastor for about 12. Um, There is, uh, and just from what people say to me, people trust pastors intrinsically, which is, (laughs) it's it's funny sometimes. Um, The things people say can be heartbreaking though. And something Shelton used to tell me is there is far more hurt on the pews than we realize. And there is hurt on every single pew. I'm willing to bet that there is more hurt more pain, more anxiety, more abuse, more whatever it might be in this room than we're ever willing to admit. There are people who are struggling. There are people who are wrestling with insecurities. And there are people who are wrestling with the loss of a loved one, working through the stages of grief right now. Are you bearing one another's burdens? The unique call of the gospel is not to live this individual life where it's just me and Jesus. It's me and God, and that's private. But it's to live a life with one another, alel, alelo, with one another, sharing our burdens with one another. Are you bearing the burdens of one another? My wife and I recently hit it off with this couple. We've been hanging out with them and they, they moved to Greenville and got a house that was, um, that they have an extra bedroom in. They have an empty bedroom in this house. And um, they recently told us that they are having a single mother move in with them, a person that they met and that they've gotten to know and that they're going to help the single mother with childcare. She has an infant. They're going to help them with childcare and um, her getting back on her feet, getting a job. They're going to help her find a job and everything. And in my mind, as they're telling me this, in the back of my mind, I'm going, you're crazy. That's a lot of work. That is a huge burden to bear. And we call these kairos moments around the church, but the reality is God took a crowbar to my heart that day because I was convicted, man. I walked away thinking, I have extra space in my house. Why am I not moving things out so that people can move in? Why am I not clearing my schedule so that people can move in and I can help them do that? Why am I not bearing one another's burdens? And it convicted me to my core because I then began to think, why is that such a big example? Because Christians are called to be radical. Why is bearing one another's burdens so foreign? 
Why is it such a weird thing? I don't know this. I don't know the faith of these, this couple. We haven't gotten to that stage in our friendship yet. I don't know where they stand, but I asked her, why would you do that? And she said, I want to love others the way that I would want to be loved. And man, that is straight up biblical language. That is a direct quote from Jesus virtually. And it convicted me to my core. Why aren't we doing this? And it got me thinking, why aren't we? In 1964, there was a famous murder case in New York City. Um, Murder cases in New York City are just a slow Tuesday there. But this one was a, a notorious case because it was a young lady named Kitty Genovese. She was 28 years old. And the interesting thing about this case is that there were dozens of witnesses, except no one stepped in to do anything. No one tried to help her out. No one intervened. And this led to the psychological or the development of a psychological idea called the bystander effect. The bystander effect has two primary features that when you combine these things, it results or it comes to be. One is the diffusion of responsibility. And the second is social influence. Here's what that means. Um, We see a need and we look at it and we go, well, that looks terrible but I am busy and there are people that need me and I can't intervene with this thing because that would be a huge burden. And so I'm just going to keep on going and the church will take care of that. There's 3,000 people at First Pres. Surely they'll take care of that thing. They have a big budget. They can knock that out of the park, but not me. And the reality is this morning, the gospel is calling you. It's calling you to do something. This is practical application, guys. There is nothing um, theologically complex about this. There's nothing difficult about this. See a need, fill a need. That's the call of the gospel is to bear one another's burdens. Um, Here's the other side of that coin, though. So so one, the, the first step of the practical application is this. Are you bearing one another's burdens? The second is this. Are you letting others bear your burdens? You know, somewhere along the way, we convinced ourselves that we have to wear a mask to church. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. Somewhere along the way, we we convinced ourselves that in order to be at a church, and maybe it's First Pres, but it's not. It's all churches. We have to look a certain way. We have to present a certain way. We have to act a certain way. We have to have our life all buttoned up and things figured out. Here's a very simple illustration. You know how I know this? Because you can ask people how they're doing and what's their response. I'm good. I'm fine. Doing fine. In fact, I was doing that this morning just as an experiment. And then people would say, well, how are you doing? And I would say, fine. And then I thought, wait a minute, I'm preaching a sermon about this. We're fine. You know, my marriage is falling apart. I'm drowning in debt. Uh, My career's on the line. My whole life's on fire. But I'm fine. I'm doing great. And that's what we do, isn't it? We wear the mask because we don't want people to know. Heaven forbid people know the real me. And here's the reality is how can you be truly loved if people don't know the real you? If you are not fully known, you can't be fully loved. You know, you hear us talking about fellowship and discipleship and you getting plugged in all the time. And here's why. We don't do that just to to spit into the wind or hear ourselves talk. We do that because we know that there will be a burden in your life somewhere along the way that you can't carry on your own. 
Whether it has come, whether you are walking through it, or it's about to come, there will be a burden in your life that you cannot shoulder the weight of by yourself, and you need fellow believers around you. I'm going to be very vulnerable for a minute. Um, about a year ago, I went through the worst depression I can imagine for my own life. Um, a depression that I woke up one morning and um, didn't get out of bed for a week. And I, I'm not exaggerating that at all. Um, didn't get out of bed for a week. My daughter missed school. I didn't take her to school. Um, just didn't care. I didn't care to do what I had to do. I uh, didn't come to work. People were wondering where I was. My phone was ringing like crazy, and I just didn't answer it. And it wasn't until my wife and Shelton and people from this church came around me and helped me through the burdens of my life, through my deepest, darkest depression, that I got through it. I could not have done that alone. But what was my first knee-jerk reaction? I got to get through this. Can't let people know. I'm a pastor. I got I to gotta look good. Got to keep it together. Got to put the robe on. Can't, can't let them see that I'm hurting. And the reality is I didn't want to let others help me bear my burdens. Life is hard. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says only a fool laughs when he's on fire. Because what does a smart person do when they're on fire? All right, if you don't know this, we need to go over this again. <laughs> a smart person says, someone help me, I'm on fire, okay? Next time you're on fire, yell for help. Don't bear that burden alone, okay? Only a fool laughs when they're on fire. Some of us are laughing right now and our lives are on fire. Some of us are wearing the mask and our lives are burning around us. Who's going to be there to help you? And so today, two, two points of application. Are you bearing the burdens of one another? And two, are you letting others bear your burdens? Are you being open and honest? Do you have people around you that can help you bear your burdens? Who, who are your they? Who are, who are your people that are around you? Are you letting them bear your burdens? Because you're going to need them. In ECO, we say, what's your next flourishing step? And so today, uh, the call of the gospel is simple, but it requires you actually do something. What is your next flourishing step today? What does it look like to open up about your, your wounds? What does it look like to open up about your burdens and the things that you're wrestling with? What's your next flourishing step? Let's pray. Father God, this morning, uh, I think we would be honest to say that we're not letting others share our burdens and we're not bearing burdens like we should be. Uh, and maybe some of us, maybe some of us are at a point where we're bearing a lot of others' burdens, but we're not letting anybody help us. And that just leads to burnout. It leads to a lack of boundaries. It leads to hurt and pain. And so I pray that we would open up to others. Or, or maybe we're at a point where we're not doing any of that and we're, our life is on fire. And Father, I pray that we would open up and we would help bear one another's burdens and we would let others bear our burdens. But Father, wherever we find ourselves, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us discernment and wisdom and that we would take those next flourishing steps to follow you in these simple allels, these one another's, as you call us to. Be with us as we continue in worship. In Christ's name I pray, amen.